Welcome listeners, but take heed. We will say whatever we need to share our knowledge, thoughts, and joy, and even things that do annoy. So join us now, but be aware. We have a tendency to swear. We'll dial it back a little bit. But frankly, we don't give a shit. Welcome to Just Keep Rolling, a Harry Potter book movie compare and contrast podcast. I'm Ellen, the pink-haired host, and this is Katie, the boring- The what? Brown-haired host. It's a podcast, okay? For all they know, I have the cool fucking hair. We just posted a video of ourselves on YouTube. The illusion is gone. Mm. Yeah. Video killed the radio star, that's for sure. <laughs> Let's just keep rolling into the rolling rehash. Last week, we covered the second half of Chapter 5, The Dementor, and its corresponding film scenes. Harry completely ignored the first rule of Safety Town by taking candy from a stranger, but really... That rule will always go out the window when Remus Lupin is the bearer of said sweets. The Toad Choir croaked out a lovely, if not unnecessary, musical number to welcome everyone back to school. Dumbledore spent his summer in a commune taking care of his glaucoma while the fat lady was busy not taking voice lessons. And the Dementors were just upset they weren't invited to play weird-ass sleepover games in Gryffindor Tower. During episode 43, Reverse Strip Poker... We ended up with three Potter ponderings. The first one was, what do you think Lupin said to the train driver after he drove off the Dementor? Emma said that she always figured Lupin went to tell the driver what had happened and to get the train moving again as he had controlled the situation. Brittany thinks he didn't talk to the driver at all. She thinks he sent an owl to Hogwarts about the attack. That would be how McGonagall knows that Harry had passed out from the Dementors. Makes sense. Mm -hmm. Jackson says that he thinks the train driver has an owl that sends any emergency news to the school, and Lupin used it to send word to Professor McGonagall about what happened. Quincy thinks that Lupin went to the conductor and told him to get their shit together and stop stopping the train, damn it. Quincy is in rare form with his responses for these, by the way. Mm -hmm. He really is. <laughs> Allison thinks it's fascinating to think of what he could have said to the driver. Max didn't even think he went to talk to the driver on the express. He always thought that Lupin was going to go have a nap somewhere else more quiet. On a train full of kids? I can't imagine there were a lot of quiet spaces. Yeah, probably not. Our next Potter pondering was, what do you think about the addition of the Toad Choir? Overall, most people seem to really enjoy the Toad Choir. Kind of surprising to me. Carly said the Toad Choir is life, and she loves it. Max called the Toad Choir Bay and said he loves it so much, just like all of the music in Prisoner of Azkaban. He says the whole medieval music vibe is excellent. Yeah, we'll end up talking a lot more about that with him in our next Potterheads of History episode. Yep. I'm really excited for that one. <laughs> right. Kristen said she adores frogs, so the choir was beautiful for her. Juliana says that she loves, there's a lot of O's in there. There is. Loves the Toad Choir. It's the one activity she could actually see herself participating in at Hogwarts. I told her that since she's a music teacher, she would end up directing it. Emma thought the Toad Choir was brilliant. She loves the one bopping his head. <laughs> I actually don't even think I ever noticed that, so now I'm going to have to go back and look for it. <laughs> Allison said that she liked the Toad Choir, and Shelley said that she thought the Toad Choir was great. Jackson said that he liked the Toad Choir, 
But at the same time, he was thinking, why? Which makes sense. Right. Mm -hmm. But not everyone liked the Toad Choir. Quincy said, Here we go, another useless change, giving us a fucking Toad Choir but couldn't expand on what Harry heard when the Dementors came? To be honest, I'd rather hear the Sorting Hat song. I'd rather they stick to the plot. I would have liked for them to show Harry's birthday. But nope, they streamlined to a Toad Choir? Ah, damn, don't hold back, Quincy. Tell us how you really feel. I think he did. Our last Potter pondering was, what did you think about the change in the fat lady? Carly feels like this fat lady more fit her idea of what she was like. Juliana also likes the second fat lady better than the first. She was much closer to book fat lady to her. Emma said that she loves Don French, but preferred Elizabeth Spriggs as the fat lady. She was in lots of kid shows when she was growing up, so it gives her a real soft spot for her. And she thinks she was a great actress. That's a good point. Max mentioned how Dawn French is sort of a British institution. He thinks the fat lady was a really interesting change, and that the character linked well with the other portraits in Prisoner of Azkaban, talking more than in the other films. Shelley said that she did not like the change and preferred the original. Quincy feels like they just can't get it right with her. She's either too stiff or just really slapstick comic relief, when in all actuality, he's always pictured her to be more of a friendly figure that has a sprinkle of sarcasm. Once again, our keepers are giving us some good alliteration. Right? Friendly figure and sprinkle of sarcasm. (laughs) Kristen wishes she was half of the original and half of the new. The brand new version was lacking the distinguished part of her personality. Yeah. Jackson says that though he loved Dawn French as the fat lady, he agrees with Kristen and wishes she'd kept her serious side, too. Even when she was upset over Sirius attacking her, it was a bit too comical. Which we will end up talking more about when we get to that part of the story. Of course. Thanks again for all your great responses, guys. Let's move on to our trivia question, which was, Where is the divination classroom? At the end of breakfast on their first day of classes, Ron says they better get going because divination is at the top of the North Tower, and it'll take them ten minutes to get there. Congratulations goes to he who must not be named but will be named, Quincy Tyree. (laughs) It admittedly took him three tries to get to the answer North Tower because he wasn't sure how specific he was originally supposed to be. Yeah, but he still got there in the end before anyone else could answer and said that he can't wait for Dave to see. (laughs) Dave said that it seems like the others are working against him and won't let him keep his streak. He claims that he was trying to let them get one, but they were too slow and let Quincy win. Mm Mm-hmm. Can't win for losing. He also then ordered Quincy to bed, since he has to work in the morning, and Quincy confessed that he did in fact have a 7am shift. That is dedication right there. Seriously. But I think he proved his point, that we were foolish to call him out, and the competition is basically non-existent. He is still a trivia master. He also said that he had to answer, just to remind Dave that he's always lurking, and Dave responded by telling him he's like Madam Hooch. Cray cray. Well, I mean, Hooch is crazy. Hooch is crazy. (laughs) But let's just keep rolling with the first half of Chapter 6, Talons and Tea Leaves, and the corresponding film scenes. Chapter 6, Talons and Tea Leaves, Part 1. 
On the very first day of classes, Harry, Ron, and Hermione enter the Great Hall for breakfast, just in time to see Malfoy entertain a group of people by doing an impression of a ridiculous swooning fit. Hermione tells Harry to ignore him, and another Slytherin, Pansy Parkinson, starts to taunt Harry about the Dementors. Harry sits down next to George, who passes him their new schedules, and then mentions that Draco is a little git who wasn't so cocky when he had to face the Dementors himself. He and Fred also agree that they are awful and say that Malvoy won't be so happy after their first Quidditch match. This makes Harry feel better, and as he helps himself to breakfast, Hermione goes over their schedules, excited that they have some new subjects that day. Ron looks at her schedule and notices that they have her down for too many classes. Hermione says she fixed it all with Professor McGonagall, but Ron points out that they have her scheduled for divination, muggle studies, and arithmancy at 9 o'clock that morning, and wonders how she's supposed to be in three classes at once. Hermione tells him not to be silly, and again mentions that she's fixed it all with Professor McGonagall. Hagrid's arrival in the Great Hall changes the subject as he greets the trio and tells them that they are in his first lesson right after lunch. He's very excited and says that he's been up since five getting everything ready. This makes Ron a little anxious, but he is distracted when he looks at his schedule and realizes they need to leave to get to divination at the top of North Tower on time. They end up getting lost along the way and come across a painting of a grazing fat dapple gray pony who is soon joined by a short squat knight in a suit of armor who had apparently just fallen off the pony. When the knight sees the trio, he assumes that they are villains and challenges them to a sword fight, swinging his own sword in a manner that knocks him over again. Harry asks if he's alright, and the knight initially tells him to get back before exhausting himself trying to pull his sword out of the grass. Harry takes this opportunity to ask for directions to the North Tower. The knight considers this a quest and attempts to mount his pony. When he fails to, he leads them to the North Tower on foot and sends them off with a farewell, telling them to call on Sir Cadogan if ever they have need of noble heart and steely sinew. Ron mutters that they will when they need someone mental, and they all climb the last few steps to a tiny landing where most of the class was already gathered, unsure how to get to the trapdoor up in the ceiling. Harry reads the brass plaque saying Sybil Trelawney, divination teacher, and asks how they're supposed to get up there. At these words, the trapdoor opens and a silvery ladder descends right at Harry's feet. He climbs the ladder first and finds himself in the strangest classroom that looks like a cross between someone's attic and an old-fashioned tea shop. Ron wonders where the teacher is and a misty sort of voice welcomes them, saying it's nice to see them in the physical world at last. She has them sit in the chintz armchairs and poofs around small circular tables and welcomes them to divination. She introduces herself as Professor Trelawney and tells them they may not have seen her before because she finds that descending into the hustle and bustle clouds her inner eye. She goes on to say that divination is the most difficult of all magical arts and, to Hermione's chagrin, books can only take them so far in this field. She interrupts her introduction to ask if Neville's grandmother is well, to tell Parvati Patil to beware a red-headed man, and to declare that classes will be interrupted by the flu in February, and that one of their numbers will leave them forever around Easter. She then addresses Lavender, who looks very nervous, to pass her the largest silver teapot. Lavender is at first relieved, but then Professor Trelawney tells her that the thing she is dreading will happen on Friday the 16th of October. 
After that, she has everyone divide into pairs to begin learning how to interpret tea leaves, using Unfogging the Future. She interrupts herself again to ask Neville to use a blue patterned cup after he breaks his first cup, which he does as soon as he reaches the shelf of teacups. Harry and Ron partner together, drink their tea, and swap cups. Ron asks what Harry can see in his, and Harry says, a load of soggy brown stuff, before pulling himself together and actually trying to read it. He sees a sort of wonky cross, which means trials and suffering, as well as the sun, which means great happiness, and tells Ron that he's going to suffer, but be very happy. Ron tells him he needs his inner eye tested, and they both stifle laughs before Ron tries to read Harry's tea leaves. He sees something that looks like a bowler hat or an acorn, which the book says means a windfall, unexpected gold, and something else that he thinks looks like a hippo or a sheep. Harry laughs again, and Professor Trelawney sweeps over to them and asks to see the cup. She reads Harry's tea leaves, seeing a falcon, which means a deadly enemy, prompting Hermione to say that everyone already knows that because everyone knows about Harry and you-know-who. Harry and Ron are impressed that Hermione spoke to a teacher like that, but Professor Trelawney just ignores her and continues to look at Harry's cup. She sees a club, meaning an attack, a skull, referencing danger, and then screams, reluctantly sharing that Harry's cup has the grim. When Harry and several other students don't understand what she means, she explains that the Grimm is the giant dog that is an omen of death. Harry nervously remembers the cover of Death Omens and the dog he saw in the shadows before getting on the night bus. Everyone else is looking at Harry, except Hermione, who got up to look at the cup and declare that she doesn't think it looks like the Grimm. Professor Trelawney tells her that she has very little aura around her and decides to end the lesson there. They all set off for Transfiguration, arriving just in time. Everyone is still looking at Harry like he's about to drop dead at any moment, and they are all so distracted that they aren't even impressed when Professor McGonagall, who is talking about wizards who can transform into animals, demonstrates turning into a cat and back. Professor McGonagall wonders what has gotten into them, since it was the first time she didn't get applause. Hermione explains that they had just finished reading tea leaves in divination, and before she can say anything else, Professor McGonagall asks who will be dying this year. When Harry says that he will be, she tells him that Sybil Trelawney has predicted the death of a student every year since she has arrived at the school, and none of them have died yet. She stops herself from saying too much against her colleague, but does tell Harry that he looks in excellent health, however, if he does die, he won't have to turn in his homework. This makes Harry feel better, but not everyone is convinced. After Transfiguration class, they all head to the Great Hall for lunch, and Hermione tries to cheer up Ron, who still seems worried about Trelawney's prediction, and wants to know if Harry has seen a great black dog anywhere. Harry tells them about the one he saw the night he left the Dursleys, and though Hermione figures it was a stray, Ron is even more scared. He tells them about his uncle who saw a Grimm and died 24 hours later, saying they scare the living daylights out of people. Hermione says that the Grimm isn't an omen, it's a cause of death. That people just die of fright, and Harry isn't stupid enough to think it means he has to die. She opens her arithmancy book and calls divination a woolly subject that calls for a lot of guesswork. Ron says there wasn't anything woolly about the Grimm in Harry's cup, and Hermione points out that he didn't seem so confident when he was telling Harry it was a sheep. 
Ron responds by telling her that she just doesn't like being bad at something for once, which seems to strike a nerve with Hermione, who slams her book shut and informs them, If being good at divination means I have to pretend to see death omens in a lump of tea leaves, I'm not sure I'll be studying it much longer. That lesson was absolute rubbish compared to my arithmetic class. She walks away, leaving Ron confused, since she hasn't been to arithmetic yet. The movie scene starts out with a bird flying through the courtyard across the covered bridge and out onto the grounds towards Hagrid's hut. The camera cuts to the bird flying towards the Whomping Willow where a branch strikes it. The camera angle changes again, showing a picturesque view of the Hogwarts castle and a puff of feathers. As the tree sways its branches, we hear a woman's voice say, Welcome, my children! And the scene shifts to the third-year student sitting in divination class as a woman with extremely frizzy hair tied off her face with a scarf, super thick glasses, and several necklaces over a green dress tells them about the class. She says they will discover if they possess the sight as she stands and runs directly into a table. Introducing herself as Professor Trelawney, she says they will cast themselves into the future and focus on tessiomancy, the art of reading tea leaves. She instructs them to take the cup of the person sitting opposite them, and everyone trades cups. Harry and Ron reach for the other's cup as Professor Trelawney continues instructing. She touches Seamus Finnegan's head, saying, First, you must broaden your minds. First, you must look beyond. Hermione appears between Harry and Ron, saying, What a load of rubbish. Ron wonders where she came from, and she insists that she's been there that whole time. Trelawney focuses her attention on Neville, asking if his grandmother is well. He says he thinks so, but she says he shouldn't be so sure of that. She asks for his cup, looks at it, and says, Oh, pity, before setting it down and walking away. She stops in front of Ron, impressed by his aura, and wonders if he is in the beyond. Ron is a little startled and says sure, so she asks him to tell her what he sees. Ron looks at Harry's cup and says that he has sort of a wonky cross, which means trials and suffering, but he also has something that could be the sun, and that means happiness. He looks at Harry and tells him that he is going to suffer, but be happy about it. And Trelawney asks to see that cup too. Immediately she screams and sets it back down, dramatically telling Harry that he has the Grim. Not everyone is sure what the Grim is, and as Harry looks at his teacup, a boy reads from a book, saying, Taking form of a giant spectral dog, it is among the darkest omens in our world. It's an omen of death. The camera zooms in on Harry's teacup, showing the tea leaves in the shape of a dog. The scene cuts to Harry, Ron, and Hermione walking downstairs built into a hill outside with a view of the castle in the background. Ron is wondering if the Grim has anything to do with Sirius Black, and Hermione tells him that divination is a very woolly discipline. She goes on to say that ancient runes is a fascinating subject, and Ron wonders how many classes she is taking. She tells him that she is taking a fair few, and Ron realizes that ancient runes is at the same time as divination and says she'd have to be in two classes at once. Hermione tells him not to be silly, asking how anyone could be in two classes at once. She goes on to mock Professor Trelawney, saying, Broaden your minds! You don't in an eye to see the future! As they continue to walk down towards Hagrid's hut. The movie section really did stay fairly true to the first half of this book chapter for this section. 
Naturally, there was some streamlining that leaves out some of the details as well as some minor changes. Mm -hmm. Naturally. Naturally. The book starts out focusing on the golden trio at breakfast on their first day of classes. Nazi von Douchebag II is still making fun of Harry for fainting by doing an impression of a swooning fit. Hermione tells Harry to ignore him. Which is actually pretty similar to how they showed him make fun of Harry in the last section. They just had it happen at dinner instead of breakfast. Yeah, but since it's the next day at breakfast for the book, they also have George distract Harry by giving them their schedules. He calls Draco a git and points out that he wasn't that cocky when he came face to face with the Dementors himself. George and Fred both agree that the Dementors are awful, and George mentions a time that their dad had to go out to Azkaban and came back all weak and shaking. Which really makes me wonder why he had to go out there. Like, did work send him for something? Probably? I think this could make a good Potter pondering. Carly and I were actually talking about this the other day, because funnily enough, when I first read it, I honestly thought that when they said he had to go out to Azkaban, that they were saying Arthur Weasley was actually imprisoned there. Oh, jeez. <laughs> I feel like that thought would have raised a lot more questions for me. Like, why would he have been arrested? Probably for illegally tampering with a muggle artifact. <laughs> like, in my head, he just got a 30-day sentence or something. I mean, but how would he still be able to work for government then after that? I mean, well... Okay, it wasn't until later that it occurred to me that he was probably just going there for work or something. <laughs> I mean, I'm just saying. it. You're supposed to be the logical one here, Ellen. Come on. It was just... At the time, it's, they said he had to go out to Azkaban. I just... I thought it was like a Hagrid-type situation. I, I mean, okay, I guess I can see kind of what you're saying. It's just... That's just, that's a big jump. Cause now it I'm was like, a big jump. That's a big I see jump. now that that probably wasn't how it was. But anyways, Fred then points out that they will see how happy Malfoy is after he faces them in Quidditch again, since Gryffindor versus Slytherin is the first game of the season. Then another distraction comes in the form of Hermione, who is excited about starting new classes and draws Ron's attention to her schedule. He notices that she's down for about 10 classes a day and says that there isn't enough time. And fun little side note, in the book, time is literally italicized. Such subtle and somehow still in-your-face foreshadowing. <laughs> in your face. Gee, is time important to the plot? Is it? Hmm. We shall see. Dun-dun-dun. Hmm. Hermione says that she's fixed it all with Professor McGonagall, but Ron goes on to point out that she's scheduled for divination, muggle studies, and arithmancy all at the same time, and wonders how she's supposed to be in three classes at once. The movie does sort of reference this conversation, but it's a bit later on since the movie section starts out differently. Yeah, the movie doesn't include a breakfast scene at all which also cuts out Hagrid stopping in to say hi to Harry, Ron, and Hermione and excitedly telling them that they're his first class right after lunch and he's been up since five getting ready. <laughs> this makes Ron a little nervous, but the Great Hall is starting to empty and he says they better get to Divination since it's at the top of the North Tower and will take them ten minutes to get there. Which was our trivia question. Yep. 
Then the movie also cuts out the trio getting lost on their way to divination and enlisting the help of the extremely nutty Sir Cadogan, who initially tries to challenge them to a duel before exhausting himself trying to wield a sword that is much too large for him. As I mentioned last week, we did see Sir Cadogan in the background during the fat lady scene, but other than that, he didn't make it into the final cut of the movie. But in the book, he does help Harry, Ron, and Hermione find the divination classroom, and they arrive to find the rest of their class standing on a tiny landing, looking up at a trapdoor with a brass plaque that reads, Sybil Trelawney, divination teacher. Harry reads it aloud, asks how they're supposed to get up there, and as if on cue, the trapdoor opened and a silvery ladder descended. Harry climbs up first and finds himself in a strange-looking classroom that looks like the cross between someone's attic and an old-fashioned tea shop. This is basically where the movie starts in, though it starts off completely different from the book. Shocker, I know. Calm down, I know you're surprised. Right? What? Just chill. (laughs) There's like a rando bird flying through the courtyard, across the covered bridge, and out onto the grounds towards Hagrid's hut. The camera cuts to the bird flying towards the Whomping Willow, where a branch strikes it. And there's also a deleted scene here, which is an extended version of the bird flying around the grounds and bugging the shit out of Hagrid a bit before it goes on to ultimately get destroyed by the Whomping Willow. I remember watching this movie with my dad and him cracking up at this part. I feel like Jackson did about the Toad Choir here. I liked it, but why? Yeah, I agree with you there. I'm glad the extended bit got deleted because, well, I mean, I didn't hate the transition. It was a little much. Sometimes I wonder what they could have put in had they not had that weird-ass transition. Like, what other detail could they have thrown in that would have made more sense? But we could have seen their breakfast or a Sir Cadogan moment. Exactly! Also, this has always bothered me. Does the Whomping Willow, like, flick the bird away? Or does it straight up destroy it? Because I've never really understood that because all that's left is like feathers just kind of floating in midair or whatever so it could have gotten shot across the grounds or something or i don't know could it have been like just yeah i hope you like that noise (laughs) (laughs) i honestly always assumed that the bird just exploded into a puff of feathers but now that you're making me actually examine that thought it's really morbid right That poor birdie. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. I know the movie's starting to get darker, but now what? We're just going to start murdering innocent woodland creatures for the sake of slapstick? Apparently. But anyways, the Whomping Willow Tree is just swaying its branches after murdering a bird. Birdering. It's a birderer. (laughs) No. Just, yeah, no. No. You sit there and you just be quiet now. It's going to be a weird podcast with just me talking, but you know what? That's the price you pay for shit like that. The branches are swaying and we hear a woman's voice say, Welcome, my children. I've said it before and I will say it again and again and again. Emma Thompson was perfect casting for Trelawney. Like the shudder in her voice, the coke bottle glasses the hair the costuming was perfect she was amazing exactly what i thought she was gonna be and i fucking love her i love emma thompson i just do can i talk have you forgiven me for the pun 
It depends. What are you going to say? I was going to agree with you. Does that help? Oh, yeah. Go ahead. You can do that. That's that's cool. I'm okay. down with that. <laughs> Go for it. Then agreed. And we will definitely talk more about this in our new actors section. Where I'm totally going to fucking say it again. But as much as I love Trelawney, I do, however, think that the divination classroom was way too bright. Based on the book, I expected more hazy, you know, more ethereal. Like, I expected it to feel almost suffocating. You know, just like choking on incense fumes or some shit, you know? And it just felt too clean and bright. I expected it to feel a lot more like, I don't know, not seedy. Seedy's a weird word for a classroom. But like, just a little more mysterious, maybe. I don't know. The book does describe it as being very dim. The lamps were all draped with red scarves, giving a crimson tinge to the light, as well as probably causing a fire hazard. Facts. I feel like they'd have to do some kind of fire-repelling charm on the scarves or something. Oh, yeah. But yes, I agree that the room was too bright. With the windows closed, the fire burning, and the perfume, it also made the room stiflingly warm. And I do think that aspect was missing in the movie. Yeah, but at this point in both the book and the movie, she greets them and welcomes them to divination. But the other various details are slightly modified. Slightly. Mm -hmm. Just a bit. In the book, she introduces herself as Professor Trelawney and declares that they may not have seen her before because she finds that descending too often into the hustle and bustle of the main school clouds her inner eye. In the movie, she welcomes them to divination and says they will discover if they have the sight. We discussed this a bit in our Trelawney episode, but I still crack up at the fact that Trelawney bumps into that little table thing just as she's talking about having the sight it's just perfect comedic timing yeah this didn't happen in the book but i don't mind the addition since i feel like it still works with her character Mm -hmm. she's always so focused on portraying the existence of her inner eye that i think it makes perfect sense that she doesn't pay anywhere near as much attention to things literally in front of her and it's hilarious and it's hilarious In the book, she warns them that divination is the most difficult of all magical arts, and that if they do not have the sight, there is little she will be able to teach them. To Hermione's dismay, Trelawney says that books will only take them so far in this field. Hermione actually isn't yet present in the movie scene at this point. They make it a specific point to show us a shot of Harry and Ron sitting at a little round table, just the two of them. As Professor Trelawney continues her introduction and says they will be learning about tessiomancy, or the art of reading tea leaves. She instructs them to take the cup of the person sitting opposite them, and as everyone trades cups, she grabs Seamus's head, saying, First you must broaden your minds! First you must look beyond! And Seamus's face is just so wonderful <laughs> when she does that. He's just like... The fuck are you doing, lady? It always reminded me of Billy Madison when he grabs the kid's face and he's like, Stay here. Stay as long as you can. It always, I don't know. I'm weird. I'm going away now. (laughs) Which does not happen in the book either, but is still pretty funny. It's at this point that Hermione says, What a load of rubbish. And Ron wonders where she came from. Gaslighting Hermione is like, Me? I've been here all this time. Except for the part where, you know, you totally haven't. I actually have a really hard time with how they wrote Hermione for this section. 
I think it goes mm-hmm. completely against her character. She would never be such a bitch to a teacher right off the bat like that. In the book, her disdain for Professor Trelawney and the subject grew. But in the movie, they just dove right into her appearing and calling it rubbish before she'd ever tried anything or experienced any negativity from the teacher. Right. I don't buy it. I always thought that too. I was like, why is she being a bitch on the first day? Like, that never made sense to me that she didn't even give it a shot. She just, why are you taking the class if you walked into it thinking it was so shit? Right. Why are you killing yourself to take this? Right. That's exactly what I'm saying. You just don't even believe in it on day one. That's just ridiculous. Yeah, I, I agree with you though. Also, another difference is that in the book, Trelawney goes on this whole bout of predictions about the class and some of the students. She first asks Neville if his grandmother is well. When he says he thinks so, she tells him she wouldn't be so sure if she were him. That does happen in the movie, shockingly enough. After they start trying to read their teacups, Trelawney asks to see Neville's cup, looks at it, and just says, hmm pity and leaves poor neville searching his cup for anything relating to his gran yeah neville's prediction was referenced though changed a bit in the book she just sort of sprinkled the predictions among the explanation of what they will be studying the movie only had her mention tassiomancy and the book didn't even actually use the official term just said reading tea leaves then she mentioned progressing to palmistry for the next term And then she told Parvati to beware a red-haired man, causing her to scoot away from Ron. She also says that they will learn about fire omens and the crystal ball, but that class will be disrupted by a nasty bout of flu, saying she herself will lose her voice. Then she declares that around Easter, one of their number will leave them forever, before addressing Lavender, asking her to pass her the largest teapot and then informing her that the thing she is dreading will happen on Friday, the 16th of October. Yeah, none of that was in the movie. It's pretty streamlined. She just introduces herself, shows a bit of her airiness, and then has them start trying to read each other's tea leaves. At this point in the book, she does tell them to split into pairs, drink tea, and trade cups. She tells them to turn to pages 5 and 6 in Unfogging the Future to help them interpret patterns. She also tells Neville to choose a blue cup after he breaks his first cup because she's rather attached to the pink. And of course, Neville immediately breaks a cup. I always wonder if he would have broken it if she hadn't said anything to him. Right? Could be a self-fulfilling prophecy. Mm -hmm. He became so convinced he was going to break the cup that it actually made him break the cup. Yeah, I don't hate Trelawney, but I don't like the fact that she's constantly making kids worry. Like, it bothers me. I don't think she does it purposefully, but at the same time, come on. I mean, there's no need to look at a kid's cup and just shake your head. That's a dick move. You're a teacher. Teach him what the hell is wrong in that cup. I get that her whole thing is predicting bad stuff, but it's a dick move to do to 13-year-olds. It just is. Dick move. Yeah, that's definitely going to do some damage to a kid's psyche. Mm-hmm. The book and the movie semi-line up pretty well at this point, as they both have Harry and Ron paired together. But the movie streamlines this scene in a way that totally changes the details. Well, not totally, but definitely changes some details. Yeah, in the movie, Trelawney is walking around the classroom to interact with the students and stops right in front of Ron, genuinely impressed with his aura. She asks if he is in the beyond, and Ron just gives a really startled, Sure, like I'm gonna agree with this crazy lady because who knows what bad things will happen to me if I don't. 
I love his. Sure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it cracks me up, even if that's not how it happened in the book. Right. But Trelawney asks Ron to try reading the tea leaves, and he gives it a shot. He looks at Harry's cup and says that he has sort of a wonky cross, which that means trials and suffering. But he also has something that could be the sun, and that means happiness. And he looks at Harry and tells him that he's going to suffer, but be happy about it. And Ron the seer strikes again! Except that Ron is actually stealing Harry's lines. Because in the book, it's Harry who says that about Ron's tea leaves. Ron tells him he needs his inner eye tested, and they both start laughing, which draws Trelawney's attention to them. So in the book, when Ron is trying to read Harry's tea leaves, he sees what could be a bowler hat, or maybe an acorn, and then something that looks like a hippo or maybe a sheep. And Trelawney latches on to the possible animal in Harry's cup, asks for it to read it herself, and sees... A falcon, which means a deadly enemy. And this prompts Hermione to point out that everyone knows Harry has a deadly enemy. Which is honestly a little bitchy. Same. It is, but it's not the same as flat out calling a class rubbish. True. Trelawney also mentions seeing a club, which means an attack. A skull, referencing danger in his path. And then she screams. She initially, dramatically, refuses to say what she sees, but once she has everyone's attention, she declares his cup to have the grim. This is sort of what happens in the movie too, except without all the other patterns. She just asks Ron to give her the cup, and then immediately screams and sets it back down. She's pretty dramatic about it too, though she doesn't hesitate for effect. She just goes right into telling Harry that he has the grim. In both the book and the movie, the reaction isn't as great as she would have liked, because a lot of the students didn't know what a grim was. In the book, she just flat out informs the class that it's the giant spectral dog that haunts churchyards and is the worst omen of death. In the movie, some random boy reads the description from a book, and seriously though, what is it with the random students who keep popping up? Like, it drives me nuts every time I watch this movie. I wouldn't have nearly the issue with it that I do if they would have used someone who's actually in the book. Given him a name or something. Like, they should have made it Dean fucking Thomas! That could have been Dean Thomas's line. Or Pravati! I, I don't know, I'm legitimately just mad the kid doesn't have a name. Yeah, the kid is literally credited as Boy One. That's bullshit, I'm just saying. In the book, both Dean and Lavender are mentioned to be among the ones who are confused about what the Grimm was. It easily could have been one of their lines. Mm -hmm. I honestly think it should have been Dean's. He should have gotten more than one line. I agree. Although, I mean, then we couldn't call him our one-line wonder, so. There is that. But this part of the scene ends with the camera zooming into Harry's teacup to give us a good look at the shape of the dog and the tea leaves. Which is not how it happened in the book. Hermione's bitch meter continues to climb upward as this teacher tries to predict the death of her best friend. And she gets up to look at the cup herself, saying it doesn't look like the Grimm to her. Then Trelawney flat out tells Hermione that she perceives very little aura around her. And now the gauntlet has been thrown. <laughs> as a teacher, I can't blame Hermione for getting shirty with Trelawney. She did the opposite of positive rapport building. I mean, she seems to do that a lot. If we're going by track record on Trelawney, like she seems to just kind of 
if you believe you're a favorite and if you don't believe, if you even push back a little, then, oh, sorry, you can't do this, you suck, and you're probably going to die, too, so it sucks to be you. It's kind of how it strikes me. Yeah, it's not good teaching. No. But Seamus also goes to look at Harry's cup, and he says, it looks like the Grim if you do this, and basically shuts his eyes. <laughs> But Harry is just done having people discuss whether or not he's going to die and kind of lashes out. So Trelawney decides to end class a little bit early. The movie just cuts scenes to Harry, Ron, and Hermione walking downstairs built into a hill outside with a view of the castle in the background. Ron is wondering if the Grimm has anything to do with Sirius Black, and Hermione tells him that divination is a very woolly discipline. And this cuts out Transfiguration, which is their next class in the book. Professor McGonagall is telling them all about animagi, or wizards who can transform into animals, and she demonstrates that she is one by turning into a cat and back. This did not get the reaction she was expecting, and she wondered what was going on with them. Yeah, this wasn't in the movie at all. Though, I mean, even if it had been, it wouldn't have been nearly as impressive of a transformation, seeing as how they already had her show it off in the very first film when Harry and Ron arrived to their first transfiguration class late, but thought they were on time since McGonagall wasn't there. Then a cat leapt off her desk and turned into McGonagall, so the surprise would have been completely ruined for the third years. Like, she blew her load on the first day. <laughs> but in the book, they just couldn't enjoy it because they were all distracted from divination. Hermione begins to explain that they had divination, and McGonagall didn't even need her to say any more. She just immediately asked which one of them will be dying this year. I'm so mad that we missed out on McGonagall's snark when she asks who's going to die this year. Like, I was so looking forward to that. In this right? Movie. Oh, I can just imagine Maggie Smith's delivery in this scene. Mm -hmm. I feel completely bilked that we didn't get to see any of it. Because she goes on to tell them that Sybil Trelawney has predicted the death of a student every year and none of them have died. She basically <laughs> speaks ill of a colleague by saying she never speaks ill of her colleagues. She calls divination an imprecise branch of magic and says that she has very little patience for it. Then she nearly outs Trelawney as a fraud, but cuts herself off to tell Harry he looks in excellent health, and she won't be letting him out of the homework that day. But if he does die, he need not turn it in. I love it! I love it. I love her so much. I know. Oh, McGonagall, you sassy, sassy oh, bitch. Oh, I wish it had been in the movie so mm -hmm. much. <laughs> her sass makes Harry feel better, but not Ron. At lunch, Hermione tries to cheer him up, but they just end up arguing about whether or not Harry really saw a grim and if they are really omens of death. Hermione calls divination a woolly subject. And Ron tells her that she just doesn't like being bad at something for once. Which, let's be honest, that's gotta be a huge part of why Hermione doesn't like divination. Oh, for sure. You know? But she declares that she doesn't think she'll be studying it much longer and says it was absolute rubbish compared to her arithmetic class, leaving Ron confused since he didn't think she'd been to arithmetic yet. This doesn't really happen in the movie since it completely skips over lunch and transitions them straight into heading to Care of Magical Creatures class outdoors. But the conversation is somewhat referenced here, as well as the conversation we mentioned earlier about Hermione's very full schedule. Right. As you mentioned before, they're walking down the steps. Hermione calls divination a woolly subject. Yeah, but then instead of comparing it to arithmancy, the movie has her use ancient runes as the superior class. 
then Ron wonders exactly how many classes she's taking. All of them, motherfucker! All of them! (laughs) I mean, you're not wrong. She (laughs) is literally taking all of the classes available to her at this point. She actually tells him that she is taking a fair few, and then Ron realizes that Ancient Runes is at the same time as Divination, and says that she'd have to be in two classes at once. And Hermione says, how could anyone be in two classes at once? I don't know. You tell me, because you're the one who's in two fucking classes at once, lady. Once again, we have gaslighting Hermione. Yup, just saying. Then she goes on to mock Professor Trelawney, saying, Broaden your minds. Use your inner eye to see the future. (laughs) As they continue to walk down towards Hagrid's hut. And again, I think it's one thing to call a class woolly and question a teacher who just predicted your best friend's death, but I think it's entirely too far to have Hermione mock a teacher. I mean, yeah, I agree. I also think that Trelawney really didn't make the best first impression on Hermione. I think it's bullshit that Hermione was a bitch, like, as far as the movie goes, right from the get-go, before Trelawney had ever even said anything to her. But then once Trelawney kind of called her out a little bit, I can kind of see Hermione being shitty about that. Because it's Hermione. and I can see her getting a little shitty about it, but Hermione still wouldn't flat out mock a teacher. And this is still the first day. And Hermione hasn't given up yet. She's 100% trying to figure out how she can impress this teacher. How she can be good at this subject because that's what Hermione does. She doesn't mock teachers. True. You make a good point. Alright. I concede. I tip my cap for my lady. <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> but now we've reached the end of this book and movie section, which means we get to talk about the new and returning actors. As we've already mentioned in this movie section, we see Emma Thompson as Professor Sybil Trelawney. I love Emma. I just love her. She just makes me so happy. <laughs> I'm starting to get the feeling that you love her. I do. She's amazing. She is amazing. Honestly, like, if they ever remake Harry Potter, which they probably will in our lifetime, we've discussed this before, I kind of want her to play McGonagall. I would be okay with that. Right? I love Emma Thompson. Yeah, I kind of want Emma Thompson as McGonagall in a future remake. Not now. Yeah. But Emma Thompson as Professor Trelawney was just absolutely perfect, like you were saying before. It's just Mm -hmm. everything about her is exactly what I pictured. My only complaint is they gave her Hermione's hair. Right? I mean, I feel like that was also Trelawney's hair, but it was definitely Hermione's hair. I kind of feel like Hermione and Trelawney could have bonded over the woes of the frizzy-headed ladies. But boo, because they didn't. Hermione's hair was too good in this movie. And that's probably, honestly, the reason why Professor Trelawney didn't like her, because her hair was so shiny and sleek. You know what? That might be it. I can see that. When she said, I see very little aura, she was really saying, I see very little frizz. (laughs) (laughs) And Hermione misinterpreted. Obviously. Obviously. That's what was going on. Obviously. (laughs) But yeah, Emma Thompson, amazing. Love her. Honestly, that's mostly it. Since we either already talked about them or they didn't really do anything during this scene. Plus, we have no idea who the rando boy is. So I looked into him. The actor's name is Ikao Cordy. Perhaps. It's spelled E-K-O-W, and I'm not sure how to pronounce that at all. But the character is supposedly named Bem. Bem? 
Bem, B-E-M, Bem. Okay. He actually has a surprisingly long Harry Potter Wikipedia page. Sure. But he can't be considered canon since he isn't in the books, as they are very clear that there are only five Gryffindor boys in Harry's year, and Bem is not one of them. <laughs> he does actually make an appearance in a later film, too, so we're going to end up talking more about him then. Sounds good. I wasn't aware that he had a name. So that's interesting. According to at least a fan the Harry Potter wiki, yeah, <laughs> he has a name, Bem. Bem. I still say it could have been Dean Thomas's line. Just saying. Yeah, it's just really random. Like when you yeah. have that many characters that actually exist in the book, and you're not making them real people in the movies, but you're bringing in Nigel's and Bem's. Like, yeah, I agree. Why use the people that actually play a part in the story? Yeah. I agree. I fully agree. But let's move on to the Potter pondering. Okay. Why do you think Arthur Weasley once had to go out to Azkaban? Find the post on our Facebook page and share your thoughts. As always, we look forward to reading them. This will bring us to our Sorting Hat story. Hi, ladies. My name is Juliana Muma. I am a proud Ravenclaw with Hufflepuff as my secondary house. My Ilvermorny house is Thunderbird but closely followed by Puckwudgie and Horned Serpent. My wand is Spruce Wood, Phoenix Feather Core, 10 inches with slightly springy flexibility. My Patronus is a Husky. I started reading the Harry Potter series in 1997 when the books first came out in the U.S. I loved book one and devoured it. Sadly, book two scared me so much that I took a short hiatus. Once I got past Mrs. Norris getting petrified, I devoured that book as well. Once I started, the obsession never stopped. I attended every midnight book release in Goblet of Fire and watched every movie on opening weekend. I have a very bittersweet memory of reading Dumbledore's speech at the end of Goblet on 9-11-01. Growing up with the books, I wanted so badly to be Hermione, but found that I wasn't terribly brave. I went through an emo phase in high school, like everyone, and thought that I was Slytherin, but found I wasn't terribly cunning or ambitious. I settled on Hufflepuff until Pottermore, R.I.P. pour one out, <laughs> sorted me into Ravenclaw, which is definitely where I belong. As a music teacher, I value knowledge and creativity. I find myself as a 30-year-old being a mix of McGonagall, Mrs. Weasley, and Hermione. It's a good mix. Mm -hmm. I am an elementary music teacher, and my students know that I am the walking, talking Harry Potter encyclopedia. I married a muggle slash nomadge and have two beautiful half-blood children. While dealing with postpartum depression after the birth of my second kiddo, I found the Swish and Flick podcast, and that led me to you ladies. Thank you for always making me laugh and smile. Love always, Juliana. She's a sweetheart. Yeah. I definitely have respect for the postpartum depression, because that's rough. And there's been a lot of things that I've had to lean on in the Harry Potter world to get me through mine, so I feel you on that one, definitely. And it means so much to us that... We are something that you turn to for your laughs and smiles. Mm -hmm. And then again, as we mentioned last week, she is one of our new patrons. So we just want to say thank you again. We're so happy to have you as part of the family. Mm -hmm. You're awesome and we love you. If any of our other keepers want to share their Sorting Hat story with us, email us at justkeeprolling at gmail.com with your house, wand, the wood core and length, your Patronus, how you got into Harry Potter, and anything else you might want us to know. 
And that will bring us to this week's trivia question, which is, which hippogriff did Ron and Hermione practice on? The prize for the first one who responds with a correct answer and the code word, hashtag bow or back away, will get a bitch is a witch, my fucker's a wizard, a just keep rolling, that's not how it happened in the book, that's not how it happened in the movie, or a pride sticker. Another way to get a sticker is to rate and review us. If you're an Apple person, you can do that through the Apple Podcast or iTunes app. If you don't have Apple, you can write a recommendation on our Facebook page. Then email us at justkeeprolling at gmail.com to let us know you did, and we'll get back to you to figure out which sticker you want and where to send it. Don't forget to find us and follow us on Facebook at JKR Podcast and Twitter and Instagram at Just Keep Rolling. Following us on Podbean at justkeeprolling.podbean.com will get you the episode as early as possible and give you a leg up in answering the trivia question. You can now also subscribe to our YouTube channel, where we will be posting our weekly episodes, blooper reels, other random videos, and, thanks to our amazing patrons, we have reached our goal to begin producing our Just Keep Rolling cooking show. Those episodes will be posted to our YouTube channel twice monthly, so you can subscribe and check out our interpretation of the various foods mentioned throughout the series. We also have other goals in place to keep bringing you more content, so if you would like to support us as a patron to help get those going, and for extra perks, you can go to patreon.com slash justkeeprolling. As always, any support you can give is greatly appreciated. You can also go to our website at justkeeprolling.com to check out our Just Keep Rolling and Harry Potter-related merchandise for sale. We also want to say congratulations to Jackson Miller for winning our magical raffle. Yay! We will be sending him some Just Keep Rolling swag as well as those Harry Potter font wooden letters covered in the book covers. And then we pulled a runner-up this time as well, so Emily Bristow will be getting some Just Keep Rolling swag also. Yay, both of you. You're both awesome. Thanks for participating, everyone. Mm-hmm. And join us next week when we talk about the second half of Chapter 6, Talons and Tea Leaves, and the corresponding film scenes. Thanks for listening. We hope you hear us again. I'm Katie. I'm Ellen. Until the next time, just, just keep, keep rolling. rolling.